it's an honor to share the Word of God with you all today. I don't know about you all, but over the past three weeks, I have thoroughly enjoyed our Living in Babylon series. Anybody agree with me? Amen? I think Pastor Josh has done an excellent job presenting what's really going on in the world and around us and how to live in a Babylonian-like environment where the spirit of Babylon seeks to confuse and disorient our lives. In many ways, today's sermon is going to be along the same lines, but over the past three weeks, in some degree, we've been really dealing with what's going on out there, if that makes sense, you know. We're understanding what's happening in the world around us and how to live faithfully as Christians in Babylon, but today, as we continue the series Living in Babylon, I want us to look more introspectively. It's not necessarily about the people out there, it's about the people in here. Today, if you like taking notes, and if you want one of the note sheets on either side of the stage, you're welcome to come grab it. Today, the title of the message is simply, Be Holy. Look at your neighbor and say, Be Holy. Today, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start in verse 13. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Grab your notes. I give you a minute to do all that and get your notes going. First Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 13. Have you all enjoyed doing the notes? They've been helpful? Good to know. Pastor Josh has really enjoyed it. We'll probably continue it. Good morning, Pastor Josh, if you're listening. If not, if you're having brunch, that's cool too. So, good morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 13. If you're able, please stand as we read the Word of God. Please stand as we show God reverence as we read His Word. It'll be on the screen behind me. The version on the screen will be in the new international version, the NIV. Let's read the Word together, friends. 1 Peter 1, 13. This is the Word of the Lord. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But, just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's works impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from, the empty away of life handed down to you from your answers, no, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him, you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. So your faith and hope are in God. Let's pause and pray. Father, we give you glory. Make us holy as your son Jesus is holy. Help us to live faithfully in this Babylon-like environment. 
the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, since the moment that Jesus of Nazareth was born of the Virgin Mary in the small little quaint town of Bethlehem, ever since he came on the scene, he's been, well, disrupting the world. His three and a half years of public ministry that include healing and preaching and the casting out of demons and the ultimate culmination of him dying on a cross and raising from the dead. This has changed the course of human history forever. And not only Jesus, but those who are under him, those are who are his disciples, if you will. They have been disrupting the earthly powers and kingdoms and nations since they were filled with the promised Holy Spirit at Pentecost. One of the greatest reasons is that these people, these disciples, these Christians, these people who associate themselves with the risen Lord, one of the reasons why they they lived in such a dramatic way, Bruce Shelley says this, Bruce Shelley, he's an author of church history. He said that one of the greatest reasons for the gospel's dramatic spread across northern Africa, the Roman Empire, and parts of Asia was simply this. The practical expression of Christian love. The pagans or unbelievers of the day would remark, see how these Christians love one another. Christian love is found in its expressions in the care of the poor, of the widows and orphans, in acts of compassion, during famine, earthquake, and war. Christians, since Jesus has come on the scene, Christians have truly valued and respected women, children, and slaves way way before anybody else had the idea, way before it became mainstream, if you will. The Christian church in Christianity has been way ahead of the game for a long time. There was something undoubtedly, something wholly different about this group of people, and literally whole empires felt threatened by it. They were living holy lives that spoke of the holy Lord in whom they are now in blessed relationship with. The church of Jesus Christ, Pastor Engel, has most certainly had some holy moments, some great moments of separation. You can tell there's something divinely unique, and we've had some great unholy moments moments as well. Moments of great consecration, great acts of God, and others of great and terrible iniquity. You can note the crusades that were extremely bloody, waging holy wars, or or people justifying the scriptures to say that slavery is fine. These are just a few of the atrocities or a few of the unholy things that we've done in our time. And at least recently, at least within the church in the West, or more specifically the church here in America, there has seemingly been a void in our area of uniqueness or holiness. It seems like every month another prominent Christian leader commits some terrible sin and all the news outlets pick up on it. You note a few years ago, Carl Lentz, whom when I was a child, I thought he was the dopest dude in the world. He's still my brother in Christ and and I'm thankful for him. But when the whole scandal came out of his sexual immorality that he committed, I mean, literally whole networks picked up documentaries about the thing. The point being, when we live unholy lives that are not really lining up with the scriptures, 
we not only take notice, but the whole world as well. They notice. I'll call, like I said, this unholy conduct does not go unnoticed. I'll recall this famous quote from Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity. He said, he marked that if only Christians would live according to their beliefs and the teachings of Jesus, we would all become Christians. While the early church boasted of holiness and uniqueness or separateness, I don't know if we can surely say the same about the bride of Christ at this moment. And at least us here in this community at Christ Point Church here in Galena, Kansas in 2023, at least we can try to do something about it. I believe simply this, that we need to have a renewed understanding of God and His holiness and how to live holy lives in order to be the blameless and precious bride of Christ that we are called to be in these last days. Even before Pastor Josh asked me to speak during this series, this word on holiness has been stirring in my heart. I'll just read what I wrote to you. I just, I'll read what I wrote in my journal on August 20th. I wrote, a few months ago I've been contemplating the topic of holiness and what it looks like to walk in holiness. On August 20th, Brother Engel or Pastor Engel hinted at being holy as God is holy. Additionally, we were singing a song titled, Build My Life, and there's a line in the song that goes something like, holy, there is no one like you. And something about that struck me acutely. I believe what does holiness look like is the wrong question to ask. It's the wrong question to ask. It's a good question. It's the wrong question. Instead, I submit to you today, brothers and sisters, simply this. Who does holiness look like? Or who has walked in holiness? And no surprise, not going to live a teaser, his name is Jesus. It's not what does it holiness look like, it's who does it look like, and it's Jesus. If you look at Jesus' life, it's the perfect example of how to be holy, how to live the transformed kingdom life by the power of the Holy Spirit. To some though, to some sister fam, Jesus himself was regarded as a, this is a little fun line, he was regarded as a law-breaking, blaspheming, drunkard, glutton, Satan-filled, unholy preacher. Pharisees the other day thought this man, this is why they killed him. He's a blasphemer, he's unholy. But to others, he was the one true God in flesh. Q John 1.14, for the word the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. Think about the story when Jesus would do something like someone's having leprosy. It's a terrible skin condition that is extremely contagious. Jesus would lay his hands on them and pray. Does the leprosy jump on him? No. The Holy One in flesh caused things to be holy. Some regarded him as this unholy preacher but he was truly the holy God of Israel in the flesh. Amen? For Jesus, the holiness he lived out from the Spirit brings healing and wholeness into the world. This is going to be the first blank on your papers if you have the little paper notes. Simply this, I submit to you. The pursuit of holiness must be after and only after Jesus of Nazareth and to become like him. 
the pursuit of holiness is, must be after and only after Jesus of Nazareth and to become like him. If we want to walk in holiness, Pastor Brandon, then we simply need to become like Jesus. And we become like Jesus through the power of the Spirit and by taking on a way of life similar to Jesus. This is, in essence, what we basically call discipleship. It's to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do as Jesus did. It's discipleship. Dallas Willard, who is a much more brilliant Dallas than I am, okay? The late philosopher, spiritual formation writer, he once said this. It's not on the screen, but I want you to listen closely because the claim he makes here is outstanding. He said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will actually become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him and how to live the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. He says the greatest issue facing the world today is whether or not we are truly going to become disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a claim. So, the pursuit of living in holiness is to become deeply formed and transformed disciples of the way of Jesus that brings the kingdom of God into this unholy world. And I think that the world needs us to live holy lives that simply preach Jesus and Him crucified. Before I continue, I'd like to submit a few words of compassion. Because this word on holiness might truly stir up some odd feelings for you. Perhaps you grew up in a church that had an emphasis on holiness. If you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Had an emphasis on holiness and you truly have some trauma associated with that. Or perhaps you've had a moral failure at some point and you don't believe that you have been made holy by the precious Lamb of God, by His blood, or, or you don't feel worthy of walking in holiness. Or maybe another, you may be actually feeling resistance. The moment I said holiness, you're like, nah, bro, I'm out. You might be feeling resistance because it may require a certain change of behavior. And lastly, for some of you all in the room, you might have not been, you might have not been the recipient of a holiness culture, if you will. You might have been on the giving end. Demanding that you better dress that way, you, you better not go there, you definitely don't go to the bowling alley, you better cut that out, okay? Maybe you were on the giving end of a culture of holiness. And mind you, those things aren't necessarily bad pursuits, okay? Because let, let me put it this way. Because if Jesus isn't our pursuit of holiness, and it's not just Him, and be, to become like Him, we do two things. Everybody say two things. This is the, these are the two sides, okay? If, if we're not pursuing Jesus and what holy looks, looks like ex, as exemplified by him, we either do, number one, we drift into a style of holiness that demands a certain way. We drift into what we would call legalism, or to become a Pharisee again, meaning you, you, no crop tops for sure, you know, no holy jeans, and you better not drink that, you better not do this, and hey, stop that. It's this idea we're trying to impose holiness from the outside in, and guess what? That doesn't work. Good practices, once you get to the end of it, I think so, I think modesty and being, being self-controlled is a great thing, but you can't work it from the outside in. But on the other side, there's another side to this. Conversely, if we're not pursuing Jesus as our example for holiness, you might say to me, 
Dallas. I've been made holy by the blood of Christ. I've already been made holy. I don't got to change nothing. It's this idea of what one of my favorite authors, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, calls cheap grace. This idea that you come to Jesus to have your sins forgiven, but you don't have to become like him in word or in deed at all. Salvation with no ounce of sanctification. These are the two extremes. And I think they need to be left alone. And I think the pursuit of holiness must be after and only after Jesus of Nazareth and to become like him. So today, I want to invite you to hear what the Lord thinks about the topic of holiness, despite maybe some of your reservations. And I believe our main teaching text today here in 1 Peter has great wisdom for us to live holy and blameless lives in this Babylon-like environment. Let's go back to our scriptures. 1 Peter 1, 13, something that you might want to know about me real quick. I read a lot of scripture, so there you go. Have your Bibles ready. The book of 1 Peter, and I'll do a little youth group thing. 1 Peter, does anybody want to guess who, uh, who wrote 1 Peter? Who? Y'all are some scholars, let me tell you. All righty. 1 Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Peter are written by the Apostle Peter. He's one of the inner three. Peter, James, and John, the inner three being the special disciples of Jesus, okay? So we have Peter. Peter's also the guy who preached the first Holy Spirit-filled message on the day of Pentecost. He was known as a key leader in the early Jerusalem church. Additionally, he's known as the apostles to the Jews. This, this letter was written... A, around A.D. 60, when persecution was starting to rise. This isn't when Christians were most intensely persecuted in church history, but persecution, nonetheless, was beginning to become more and more prevalent. And what's interesting is, y'all like this, I think, Peter, he's writing this from a city in which he calls Babylon. In 1 Peter 5, 5, 12, and 13, at the end of the book, he says, I'm writing to you from Babylon, and he's writing this this letter with the help of a man named Silvanus. And he's referring to actually what is Rome as Babylon, because since the Babylonian exile is that we're looking in the book of Daniel, Babylon has now become this archetype for evil kingdoms and rulers. And it's just interesting, he says, from you, from Babylon, to you from Babylon. His purpose for writing this letter was very clear. He wanted to encourage persecuted disciples of Jesus to remain hopeful in Jesus during suffering. Peter is encouraging them to endure hardship and suffering as Jesus did, not with loud resistance, but with generous love. Daniel and 1 Peter share many similarities in this. Both books, in essence, are simply about living faithfully to God or to Jesus while in Babylon. So, the book opens up with something like this. In 1 Peter verses 1 and 2, he's greeting the believers. And then Peter immediately begins expressing gratitude for God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ and the living hope that we now possess because of Jesus' death and resurrection, namely the salvation of our souls. Let me read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. It says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is reserved in heaven for you 
who by God's power are protected through faith for his salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He's encouraging these new, born-again Gentile believers to continue rejoicing in their faith in Christ, which is of utmost value, despite difficult circumstances and sufferings that are arising. Then in verses 10 and 12, Peter is alluding to back of, to the Old Testament of the prophets of old and how they spent much time in prayer seeking out the very thing that they're now experiencing, which is their salvation in Messiah or their salvation in Jesus. And this leads us right back to our main text, 1 Peter 1.13. Let's read it again. To 1 Peter 1.13, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. No. For just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. And since... You call on a father who judges each person's works impartially. Live out your time as foreigners or exiles here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him, you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. So your faith and hope are in God. And before we ever get to this idea of living holy lives, and we're going to dig that out in one minute, there has to be a little foundation here, okay? I might get a little excited, I might do a little Pastor Josh dance, but we'll see what happens. We must first understand that this pursuit of holiness, to live holy lives, to ultimately become like Jesus, is possible, and only possible, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Ephesians 2.13 says, We who used to be far away from Christ have been brought close to Christ by His blood. The disobedience of one man, Romans 5 says, the disobedience of one man named Adam in the garden caused sin to enter into all of humanity. But the obedience of one man, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, by living, dying, and being being raised from the dead, how has now made it possible for us to be reconciled and justified before the living God by His blood? Jesus, Jesus' perfect sacrifice, because of it, in our repentance from sins, in our faith in this work, in this work alone, we can be forgiven, redeemed, and welcomed into the glorious family of God. This salvation that the prophets of old spoke of long ago concerning the coming of the Messiah. It was not made possible by works or riches, There's no possible way that you could have paid your way towards salvation. I don't care how much money you got, how cool you are, whatever possessions you got. There's no amount of riches, silver or gold, that could have done this. We couldn't pay our own. 
but God has paid our way. Not by that of silver and riches, no, but by the precious and holy blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who came into the world to take away the sins of the world. Only by the blood of Christ. Thus our, thus our faith, our hope, and our trust are in Jesus and him alone. We, have now, have, we now have access to this holy God. We have been filled with his Holy Spirit, have joined his multicultural blood-washed family, and have the blessed assurance, Pastor Brandon, that we will dwell with God for eternity. Amen. In the pursuit of holiness, this is the foundation. We're not trying to live holy lives so that we can be holy before God. We have been made holy before God by the blood of Christ already. Then the work afterwards comes, learning to be obedient in all of our way of life and all of our conduct. Simply put, we've been made holy by the blood of Christ. Amen? And as a result of the salvation that God has graciously provided for us, we are now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Savior from sin And he is now our Lord of life. And the only proper response to someone doing something for you that you couldn't have possibly done for yourself is to obey whatever they said. I thought of an analogy. If if the train track that's out here, let's say someone tied me to the train track. I don't know who it was. Somebody did. Pastor Sean did it, okay? He tied me to the train track. How dare you, all right? And and I, and there's a train coming. They move really slow right here, but it's still going to kill me for sure, okay? And the train's moving. I'm tied to the track. There's no possible way I'm getting out. It's a nice knot. You know how to tie knots. Well done, sir, okay? There's no possible way I'm getting out. But if Ben runs along, he runs up there, he ties, t- unties me and pulls me off the track right before the train hits. I might say something to Ben like, what can I do to repay? I, 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 wouldn't, I was going to die. What, what can I do? And then whatever you would say, I would probably do. And this, in essence, is what we are doing when we come to Christ. We have a salvation that we could have never paid on our own. We were sinners, dead in our sin. We were destined for death and to be separated from God for eternity. But God has graciously saved us. And the only proper response that we can give Him now is to obey whatever He says. Cue the famous quote, Come and follow me. We are now in Christ and have been baptized into God's glorious family and we are learning to become obedient children who in the words of the Great Commission are being taught to observe, to obey, and to practice everything that Jesus has commanded. And one of those commands is found right here in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16. It says that we must be holy as the I am is holy. In light of everything we've said, let's look back at 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. The New English translation, which I have right here, reads this way. But like the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves in all of your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, because I am holy. It would be helpful if we first define the word holy. Look at your neighbor and say, Holy. 
This word is used over 600 times according to the NIV concordance. It's used over 600 times in the Old and New Testament. The word holy in, in Hebrew, it's an adjective, and it, it's a word that's pronounced kadosh. It's an adjective that's, and, it, and this adjective derives itself from the verb kadash, which simply means to consecrate, to sanctify, to prepare, to dedicate, to be holy, to be sanctified, or to be separate. The word holy in the basic sense means this. Set apart from that which is commonplace, special, unique. It means, it can mean sacred or holy, a saint, set apart, holy one. Dr. Steve Bontrager, who's a theologian and professor at Messenger College, and one of my closest friends, actually, I called him, and he helped define the word for me according to what he knows about the Scriptures. And Dr. Steve Bontrager said this, that holy means complete, whole, lacking nothing. In reference to God, it's without sin, blemish, or darkness. It can also mean completely other than. And most of the time when we hear the word holy, it's in reference to the Scriptures or something that has to do with religion. But let me make a simple analogy that will make you laugh at least and help you better understand this word holy. Because I'm going to continue saying it like 64 more times, okay? So uh, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I do know enough that Michael Jordan is the best basketball player that's ever played the game, okay? Right? He just is. He's that guy, okay? And what we, we would call him unique. He was set apart from all the other players, okay? He was special. He was holy in a sense, okay? Just don't be like, oh, no, he's not God, okay? But his, 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 the way he played basketball, he was a holy basketball player, completely different. In comparison, sorry, Pastor Brandon, in comparison, I'm assuming with comparing you to Michael Jordan that you are not a unique or set-apart basketball player whatsoever, okay? You are average, might get a couple buckets, okay? But compared to Michael Jordan, you are commonplace. He is not. He's completely unique and separate. Now, we can go ball after this if you want, and we can, like, settle it. But point being, Michael Jordan is holy compared to you in his basketball game, okay? And I think we understand with more things, like if I was wearing a white shirt, and then I gave my daughter, Simka, a Sharpie, I would immediately feel that this shirt is holy. Get that Sharpie away from me. Hence, you know, she's putting crayons on the walls, and I need to paint that. The walls are holy, but there's crayons everywhere, and it's wonderful, okay? You you get what I'm saying? In essence, the word holy is something that is completely unique, completely other than. Look at your neighbor one more time and say, holy. We got your little pieces of paper. We're going to go into the first point of this message. Simply this. God equals holy, holy, holy. God is holy, holy, holy. Right here, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, Peter is quoting directly from Leviticus 19, 2, when Yahweh, the great I Am that we've been singing about today, the God of Israel, He's commanding the Israelites... How to live a holy life, and he's reminding them, I am that I am, I am holy. God refers to himself here as holy. The holy scriptures, 
this blessed book that I'm thankful for reveal the God of creation, who he is, what he's like, his character, his attributes. And some of those that the Bible reveals that God is love. He's merciful. He's just. He's vengeful. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. The list goes on and on. But if there's one word, as if mere human words could ever adequately describe the one true holy God, there was one word that I could use to describe God, it would be holy, holy, holy. The Bible makes the point very clear by its repeated usage of the words as it describes God. And as we have said before, anytime the Bible repeats itself, whether that be just individual words or phrases, we better pay attention. In Isaiah chapter 6, we'll go to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 real quick. In Isaiah chapter 6, we get the iconic scene from the view of the prophet Isaiah of the iconic throne room scene. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 4, let me read it to you. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord, I saw Yahweh, I saw the great I Am, seated on a high and elevated throne. The hem of His robe filled the temple. Seraphs stood over him. Each one had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And they used the remaining to fly. They called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. His majestic splendor fills the entire earth. It's really cool that Isaiah got to hear the number one billboard song of all creation that has been playing nonstop on repeat over and over and over. And that song is Holy, Holy, Holy. This is the same song that the Apostle John heard in Revelation chapter 4 when he's in the throne room of God with myriads of angels surrounding. He hears the song again, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. God is holy, holy, holy. R.C. Sproul said this about the word. It's really unique that we would get a word that's repeated three times. If the Bible says it was once, it's important. If it says it's twice, you better pay attention real close. If it says it three times, your, your life might depend on it. And the Bible doesn't testify that God is love, 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 or just, 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 or vengeful, 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 or merciful, merciful, merciful. No, the Bible says God is holy, holy. Holy. You're going to go home today and say, I can't, I, I hope you never forget those words. If you don't remember anything else today, remember that God is holy, holy, holy. What do I mean by that? God is completely other than. He's completely unique. There is no one like Him. There is thousands of other gods, but they're all fragmented and broken. They are not complete. God is the only holy one. He's unique. He's set apart. He's completely other than. He is the only one true God. He is the creator, not creation. He is holy, holy, holy. There is no one like Him. There is no sin in Him. There is no blemish. There is no defect. Don't ever get it twisted. He is holy. Completely other than. God is holy. 
You remember the, the famous scene from 2 Samuel chapter 6? You know, David's transporting the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And on their way, and the Ark of the Covenant is this beautiful golden box where God allowed His presence to dwell between these two angelic beings in the most holy place. He allowed His presence to dwell here. And while they're transporting this box, uh, the oxen that's pulling it, he stumbles, right? And the Ark of the Covenant begins to fall. So my boy Uzzah, can you say Uzzah? It's probably pronounced something else, but just say Uzzah for fun. Uzzah, okay. Uzzah was All right. So Uzzah, my boy Uzzah. My Uzzah, do, he, he does the only proper thing. If something's falling, you're going to catch it. So he reaches out to grab the Ark of the Covenant, and God kills him. Oh, Uzzah, come on, Uzzah. You shouldn't have done that. Man, why would God kill him? It's because God is holy, holy, holy. He can choose to give life. Or he choose to take it away. He's the creator. Uzzah was not holy. He was unholy. And when Uzzah touched the presence of God on the Ark of the Covenant, he died immediately. The point I'm just trying to make to you is simply this. God is holy, holy, holy. But recall what I submitted to you at the beginning of the sermon. I told you that the pursuit of holiness must be after and only after Jesus of Nazareth and to become like him. Let me read this verse again to you, again in the New English translation. But like the Holy One who called you, but like the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves in all of your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. I've got a question for you, Elder Randy. Who is the Holy One? Who is the great I Am? 1 John 2.20 says that we have the anointing of who? The Holy One. Every time, almost every time a demon's getting ready to get cast out, they say something like, you are the Holy One of God. Pastor Engel, in John 8.58, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Who is the Holy One? Who is the great I am that took on flesh? What's his name? It's Jesus. He is the Holy One who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, he is the Holy One. He is the great I am who took on flesh and dwelt among us. He is holy, holy, holy. It's Jesus. While we serve a God who's revealed himself as in the Apostles' Creed, as we repeat all the time, as Father, Son, and Spirit, Jesus of Nazareth, the Word of God, he is holy, holy, holy. He is the Holy One. Look at your neighbor one more time and say, God is holy, holy, holy. Secondly, His people then must become holy. That would be the second blank on your papers. His people equals must become holy. I think with the clear understanding that God, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Holy One, the pursuit of holiness begins becoming a lot easier. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, again. But just as the Holy One who called you, 
Become holy yourselves in all of your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. Again, Peter's writing to these born again believers. To become holy in all their conduct. Conduct meaning in in their complete way of life. In all their behavior. In all that they say, think, or do. In all your conduct. It needs to become holy just as the Holy One who called you. These believers that he's writing to lived in a highly unholy culture full of idolatry, sexual immorality, and many other evil practices. Peter is reinforcing to them that their new identity in Jesus and being a part of God's holy family, this new dynamic of living a part of God's family requires that we live in a different way. Peter, again, he's quoting from Leviticus 19.2 to help these disciples better understand their role in representing Jesus to the nations. In Exodus 19, so Exodus 19, let's go there together. Exodus 19, we'll look at verses 3 through 6. Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. I'll catch up. Exodus 19, 3 through 6, this is what's going on. So God, Yahweh, the one true God, has just delivered the people of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh and from Egypt. He's led them through the Red Sea, and they they have just arrived at the base of Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, where God is going to make covenant with them. And right before, we in chapter 20, where we get the Decalogue, the famous Ten Commandments, this is what God says in Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. It says, Moses went up to God. And the Lord called him from the mountain. Thus you will tell the house of Jacob and declare to the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And now, if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations, for the whole earth is mine nonetheless. But you will be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. This is where the nation of Israel gets to take on the priestly duty of representing Yahweh to these unholy pagan nations. And that because Yahweh, their king, has saved them and they couldn't save themselves, their only proper response now is to obey whatever Yahweh says. And throughout the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, they are given 613 commandments to follow. And, and, and at face value, you're like, man, that's a lot of things to like be remembering. Like, that's crazy. Wow, come on, God. You know, you make it shorter, all right? And, but the point was, it wasn't just follow all these things. Them obeying the commandments is how they were representing their, their unique holy God to the nations. They were a kingdom, a priest. They were a holy nation completely other than with a completely holy God. But sadly, as you read the Old Testament narrative, the Israelites weave in and out of this priestly duty, obeying God's commandments and representing Him rightly, then disobeying and bringing shame on the name of Yahweh. 1 Peter 2.9, which is really cool. 1 Peter 2.9, just one chapter over. This is what Peter says. But you are, referring to these Christians he's writing to, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, 
so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Really simply put, we are now the kingdom of priests unto God, representing Jesus to the nations. Thus, if we are now God's representatives, because we have joined the family of God through faith in Christ, we must become holy in all of our conduct, everything we think, say, or do, because it is our duty to represent God rightly to the nations. Last point was that God was holy, 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 and if it's our job to represent this holy, holy, holy God, then we need to obey Him so we rightly represent Him. It's kind of what I alluded to in the beginning. And I know I'm aware that sin is a real thing. And we're not going to live perfect lives per se. So I love what 1 John has to say. It says, if you sin, don't worry, you have a high priest who's made atonement for your sins. So there's sin that might go on and we're stumbling, but we're stumbling forward. As Pastor Josh always says, if you're going to, what is it, what is it? If you're going to press through, if you're going to stumble forward, right? Stumble in the right direction. But as in an objective standpoint, if we are incorrectly not living holy lives, if we are incorrectly, if we're not doing this well, I guess, if you, per se, we're not rightly representing Jesus to the nations. We're sending a mixed message. If we don't love one another as we are commanded to over and over and over, we're not rightly representing the love of God. You get know what I'm saying? Like, if we're like, let's say you go to Texas Roadhouse. Everybody loves that place, okay? If you go there and you have an unbelieving waiter or waitress serving you, and you're mad the whole time, mad that you can get your extra, you know, cinnamon butter because it's so good. And you're mad because your, your steak was well done and it was supposed to be medium. And you just pop off at them and you're all mean. You are incorrectly representing the God who dwells in you. First Corinthians chapter 6. The apostle Peter is laying down the law to the Corinthians about their practice of sexual immorality. And he goes to the point and says, don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy, Holy, Holy God inside of you. And, you're, and, and, and if we're practicing a way of life that wrongly misrepresents him, we are becoming walking temples that are just full of hypocrisy. That makes sense. So, that, so the point is, his people, if God is holy, 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 his people must become holy in all that they do. Lastly, Really simply, look at your neighbor one more time. It's just fun to look at your neighbor, you know. While I get a sip of water. Look at your neighbor and say this. Say, way of life equals way of Jesus. Way of life equals way of Jesus. And Lori, you're more than welcome to make your way up. God is holy, holy, holy. His people must become holy, holy, holy in all of their conduct. So that means our way of life, our behavior, our conduct, everything we say, think, or do must become holy. Peter makes it real clear to to these Gentiles in Asia Minor. In 1 Peter 1.18, he says, You were redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors. 
1 Peter 1.14, he says, Do not be conformed. The word conformed can also be translated as, Do not stick to the same pattern. Or in the Dallas translation, Don't keep doing the same thing. Okay? Do not keep doing the same thing. Don't keep practicing the evil desires or the evil practices you used to follow in your ignorance. Don't do that. Don't do that no more. But he says in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, remember when he says therefore, he's, he said reminding them of their salvation. In light of that you've been made holy by the precious blood of God, now you have hope in God, you join the family of God. In light of all that, he says, get your minds ready for action, being fully sober. What I love about Peter and the Bible is that the Bible is thousands of years ahead of modern science. What do I mean by that? He says, get your minds ready for actions. Whatever you do, you think about before you do. He's, he's connecting our thoughts and our actions. And what we truly believe in our heart, deep down inside of us, those are the things that come to our mind. Those are, those are the things we do. And when we come to know Jesus, we join his glorious family. He wants us to live in a different way. To help just clarify a little, let me read a few of these old evil desires, a few of these evil practices that this, these, uh, these Galatians, not Galatians, these, these Christians used to practice. I'll kind of do rapid fire. 1 Peter 2.1. 1 Peter 2.1 says, so get rid of all evil and all deceit, and all hypocrisy, and evil, and all slander. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 say, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against your soul, and maintain good conduct or a good way of life among the non-Christians, so that though they now persecute you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when He appears. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead bless others because you are called to inherit a blessing. 1 Peter 4, 3. He says, For the time has passed, for the time that has passed was sufficient for you to do what the non-Christians desire. Here's what the non-Christians desire, and this is what they do. They lived in debauchery. Evil desires, drunkenness, carousing, drinking bouts, and wanton idolatries. Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us the real big list here, the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. And Peter is encouraging these believers, now that you're in Jesus, we have to stop doing these things because we are becoming like the Holy One and we are representing the Holy, Holy, Holy God. This way of life is incompatible with the kingdom of God and living in God's kingdom. So the question then, in a way, becomes, how, how do I become like the Holy One, Jesus of Nazareth? And truthfully speaking, we could spend the next eight years here at Christ Point Church every Sunday morning digging out 
the practicality of how to become holy or to simply become like Jesus. This is a long process that I can't fully try to accomplish today. It's a lifelong journey. In essence, though, our job is to be, our job is to jump into what the Bible calls discipleship. In other words, spiritual formation. John Mark Comer says, Dallas Willard defines Christian spiritual formation as the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it literally becomes the inner being of Christ himself. Simply put, discipleship to Jesus. And what is so cool about Christ Point Church, if you're new today, it's been a pleasure to have you. Something that you should know about Christ Point Church, Christ Point Church exists to do one thing, really. To develop disciples who love God with all their head, heart, hands, and feet. The journey of discipleship, when done in the context of Christian community, in other words, doing it together, we, we are putting off the old desires of the flesh. That's part one, you know. But it's not only putting off the old way of life, it's by taking on a new one. You know, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Baptize them into the Father, Son, and you're baptized into the family of God. And now you're learning, you're being taught to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Such again as love one another. But it's not just obeying the direct commandments from God. The direct commandments from Jesus, Sister Pam. It's also taking on a way of life to Jesus. For example, let me ask you a question. Does the Bible ever say that you need to read through the Bible in a year every year? Does it? Did he say that? Did Jesus say you need to be in your prayer closet for three and a half hours a week? Did he say that? Did he say, hey, you need to fast seven times, seven times a month? Did he say that? No. But Jesus' way of life, his habits, how he did life, we are to take notice of those. Jesus, for example, he frequently left community to be alone with God in solitude, to pray. Jesus obviously continued going to synagogue to sit under the teaching of God's word. Jesus obviously prayed a lot. Jesus fasted. Jesus did all these things. We can observe his way of life. And this is the essence of being disciples. It's not just to believe a bunch of things that Jesus said, but it's to be practitioners of what Jesus has said. It's this idea that we're not only being hearers of the word, but we're being doers of the word. Dallas Willard again, he said, the greatest threat, the greatest problem in the world is truthfully speaking, if we as Christians are truly going to live out the teachings of Jesus. In other words, to become like Jesus. In other words, to live holy lives. Like I said, we can't accomplish that. You can't walk out here today and, and you got it all figured out, okay? But the point being, as we're living in this Babylon-like environment, it is our only right duty to attempt to live holy lives because the Holy One who called us is holy. Because by, by doing this, First, as Peter said, we are really representing the God we say we love and serve when we begin practicing what Jesus said. And I'm very aware of some of the sins Christian leaders have done. 
the, the, the dissension and un, the, the, the lack of unification to be unified in one body and one spirit. All these things the world sees. And it hurts our testimony of Christ. So my, I implore you today to go on this journey to be deeply transformed by the power of the spirit and ultimately living holy lives. Because I, I can tell you, you're going to gain a lot more than what you give up. You're going to stop practicing sexual immorality. Yeah. But you're going to get to know God. You're going to know Him. And be transformed into someone who's like Christ. Would you please stand with me? Be holy. It's a worthy pursuit as we live in a Babylonian-like environment.